Before you hear their names announced at Rogers Center, you'll first hear them on Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. Hello and welcome in. Time for another show, Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. We've got some things to discuss this week. With my Lugnuts, Griffin Conine has landed. 50 game suspension is now over. And so game number 51, he was playing for Lansing, an RBI single immediately. And then in his second game, which occurred just yesterday as we're recording this show, about two doubles and two homers, everything hit to the opposite field. So I'll discuss Griffin Conine uh, with Adam Jackson, who calls the Lugnuts games with me. Meanwhile, Forrest Wall has been simply splendid as a member of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. He's riding an 11-game hitting streak. He's been top-notch. There are some other things to talk about with New Hampshire, like, for example, Riley Adams, who might have been uh, crossed off as folks looked at his season last year with Dunedin. This year, his second year, has been a lot better for Riley. So we'll be talking about Riley Adams and about Forrest Wall with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. With the AAA Buffalo Bisons, they uh, opened up this week. You go back a full week ago, and there was Buffalo smoking the baseball. Alan Hansen, a two-homer game, drove in six, and they scored 15 runs, a 15-8 to eight route. And so we'll catch up with Pat Malacaro with the Buffalo Bisons and talk about the latest goings-on with the herd. Let me bring in Adam Jackson, though, with my Lansing Lugnuts, and lo- let's talk about the Lugnuts. And, Adam, let's begin with Griffin Conine. Conine taken last year in the second round out of Duke University. Two games into Lansing. How about already? He's got, what, five base hits. He's knocked in four runs. What have you seen out of him? Seen a really nice swing to both sides of the field, Jesse, specifically going the opposite way. He had two home runs last night that were both hit to left field. He's a left-handed bat, different from his dad, who, of course, was a right-handed batter for uh, mostly the Marlins. But after he gets his first hit in his opening debut a couple of nights ago and his first RBI, he followed that up last night with a couple of home runs to the opposite field and then a couple of doubles. So have really seen the opposite field power from him through uh, the first couple of games. And you can tell, you and I watched both games and can see the power in his swing. He's got that open stance, waggles the bat behind his head, just looks like a power hitter. And you can see the strength down low for him. So through two games, although Dayton isn't uh, great, they're in last place in the Midwest League, it was fun to see him come up from extended spring training and just take off as a, a top prospect you would expect them to be able to do. And he did that. Well, those home runs yesterday, following on the heels of the double, we've got an interview that you had with Griffin Conine that we'll play later on in the show what did you think of your first conversations with him, your first impressions of him as a guy? Well, Jesse, obviously the, the first thing, the elephant in the room, was he, he was coming off a 50-game suspension. Uh, he, he tested positive for ritalinic acid last year, uh, found out in November, and we had to talk a little bit about that. And he said, you know what, it was, it was the worst phone call that I had ever gotten. Um, but if you remember correctly, when he found out last November, he owned up to it on Twitter he apologized. He didn't make excuses. Uh, he made a mistake. He admitted that. And he said that he used that as motivation in extended spring training. Every time throughout the 50-game ban when he was down in Dunedin getting ready for that moment to come up with Lansing, uh, he said it was driving him during workouts, knowing that uh, he had made a mistake and that's why he wasn't playing in games. He was down at extended spring training. So he said, 
um, you know, I made a mistake and got to move forward and just know that I, I learned something from that. I've grown from that. And he said he really got support from his family members, close friends. So I was really impressed with his maturity. A guy that age, 21 years old, makes a mistake like that, trying to follow in the footsteps of his dad, obviously, who had a great major league career. Um, so I was really impressed with the way that he handled himself and how excited he was to be in Lansing and get the opportunity uh, to play with the Lugnuts beginning with game 51 after that suspension. He wasn't the only power hitter who was smashing the baseball yesterday. The other guy who was coming up with the big swings was Ryan Gold. What have you seen from Gold as of late? He's just hitting the ball really hard. When he comes up, you feel like good things are going to happen. I believe he's tied for first in the Lansing Lugnuts with uh, 11 doubles now. Uh, he had that home run. He went the opposite way out to left center field yesterday. So the two left-handers getting it done. But I really like the way that Gold is swinging at pitches in the strike zone. And he's showcasing a confidence that we didn't see from him at the beginning of the year. And we've seen it from different players throughout the Lugnut lineup. But Ryan just looks locked in right now. Um, we mentioned it uh, a couple of weeks ago once Alejandro Kirk got promoted that uh, they were excited to see what Gold could potentially do behind the plate. He's taken a lot of reps at the catching position, but specifically at the plate. He's swinging at a lot of pitches in the zone, and 90% of the time it seems like he is hitting the ball hard somewhere, whether it's up a gap, whether it may be at one of the defenders. Um, he's putting good, solid contact, and he's had great at-bats against Dayton. He had the the golden cycle and grand slam here in Lansing back in April. And then the second opportunity to play Dayton, he gets his second home run last night. So really have liked his approach and the way he's swinging at the plate. Another key for the Lugnuts as of late has been the pitching specifically. Let's look at the starting pitching. We saw Troy Watson yesterday, five hits, one hit, uh, five innings, one hit, zero earned runs. Before that, Josh Winkowski, another gem Seven innings, eight strikeouts. Troy Miller's been very good. Josh Hyatt turned in another gem yesterday. What have you seen from the Lugnut starters? Well, this has been the inconsistency for Lansing. They've had good hitters. Some have gone down uh, to the IL or injuries. Others have been promoted. But the pitching has been up and down outside of Josh Winkowski. They started the year with Joey Murray. He was the Midwest League leader in strikeouts. But outside of those two, it's been a roller coaster. And the pitching, it's, it's started to come on late, uh, specifically, as you mentioned. You still go with Josh Winkowski, who was excellent the other night. Um, just, they seem to be hitting their strike zones and pitching with confidence. I mean, Josh Hyatt, uh, a guy that um, in his last three outings, he's gone 12 innings pitched, allowed just five hits, uh, three earned runs with 16 strikeouts to just three walks. Um, so, it seems like they're kind of feeding off one another and they're starting to find that confidence. And I think that's the last piece of the puzzle for these lug nuts. I mean, they've been solid defensively this year. They've shown spurts at time where their offense can go off specifically at home where their numbers are elevated. But if they start to get the starting pitching, we know about the back end bullpen of Cree Finfrock and Jackson Reese, Sean Rakowski have been pretty good in the back end. If their starting pitching starts to become more consistent you're going to see them start to win a lot more games. And specifically, as we head towards the second half in the next few weeks, uh, this team certainly could take off. At Adam Jaxa on Twitter, J-A-K-S-A, he joins me calling the Lugnuts games 
Adam, thank you very much. You got it, Jesse. Thank you. All right. And now from Adam, let's go up the ladder. And let me bring in Jim Tarabokia from the Dunedin Blue Jays. Jim, how are you? I'm doing well, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. Let's talk about your DJs. Uh, for starters, what a great offensive performance yesterday. Yeah, um, and, and especially hitting with runners in scoring position. That's been the thing here the last uh, couple of weeks that's really stuck out. Um, I put a good little uh, note um, stat in the game notes today that the Blue Jays have registered, the DJs, uh, a three eighty five batting average with runners in scoring position in their last 14 games. Um, that might be the highest uh, batting average in that situation in the last three years. I have to double-check on that, uh, that they peaked anyway. So um, I think that's been the real key. Cesar Martin, our manager, has certainly talked about how well this team has hit in, in opportune situations, and it's, it's, it's really come through at a big time. Um, and it's been the standout uh, of statistic offensively for this team. That's awesome to hear. And let me spotlight a couple of players. First, Logan Warmoth specifically has stood out, and not just the near cycle yesterday. He's put together a slew of multi-hit games recently. What have you seen? Yeah, I, I've seen that he's healthy. He's he's more aggressive. Um, he, he's not uh, trying to overswing. Uh, he's not getting fooled by by a changeup or a, a breaking ball. Um, I think the game for him has certainly slowed down a lot. I think you see it uh, in the field. Um, I, I think you certainly see it at the plate. I think you know at this level. I think when guys um, uh, when when they when the game slows down for them, that's when they're most successful. And uh, I, I think it goes for any level of professional baseball. But um, when they're able to slow the game down uh, and kind of let it come to them like Logan has, um, then you're going to have success. And that's the thing that really sticks out to me the most. Another player has just been playing sensationally this month. Cal Stevenson hitting 319 in May. The on-base percentage is 396. The OPS is 854. More walks than strikeouts. How about Cal recently? Uh, yeah, and, and I think, you know, with, with Cal, everything seems, as of late, seems to be um, getting hit hard, and uh, it, it's falling right now for him. Um, you combine that with his speed, the inside-the-park home run a couple of weeks ago, um, and and you're going to see a guy uh, have a lot of success in Cal Stevenson. I mean, it also helps, too, that he's gotten used to the pitching here in this league. He's feeling, feeling a lot more comfortable at the plate. Um, and he's really, really caught on quick, and, and we're starting to see why he had so much success last year um, at, at the rookie levels. I don't think it's talked about enough in this system um, how seasoned he is as a college player um, that, that came out of the draft uh, last year. And, and let me bring up another guy who came out of the draft last year, a college guy. Hey, Christopher Beck seems, seems to be playing very well for you. Well, you know, and then you, you throw in Alejandro Kirk, and we've got two catchers, yes. uh, one who is um, an excellent defender in, in Christopher Beck, and then uh, another catcher who can just flat out hit, and you know that in Alejandro Kirk. So we've got a pretty a pretty good catching combination. I think with Beck coming on offensively, we may see him now get more opportunities to hit uh, as DH here going forward. But, um, you know, I think about where Dunneen was the last year um, with catching with, with um, um, Riley Adams and Alberto Maneo it's sort of the same situation. One guy really hit uh, last year or had the potential to hit last year in Riley Adams. 
certainly Alberto Moneo, I think, turned some heads with how he hit last year, but also with how he played defense and um, uh, how he was um, working with pitchers. And then we have kind of the same thing this year. One guy in Kirk who can absolutely hit, doesn't take anything away from Beck and his bat, but he works with pitchers and is a very good defender uh, as well. So it's sort of um, mirroring the, the catcher spot anyway from what it was last year. I've got good news for you, too. You've got Gabriel Moreno oh, good. I and like Ryan good Gold. Yeah, there's more catching depth coming up the ladder to you when those guys are gone, too. Well, hey, and I, I think that says something about uh, the organization and, and building uh, the athletes up the middle. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you think about just everything involved with catching the last couple of years, the players uh, who've come up, the, the coordinators, and also um, really the one bright spot in all of that, or the brightest spot anyway, uh, Johnny Schneider, who was our manager in, in 2017, um, now a major league coach helping out with the catcher's development at the major league level. So that's certainly been um, a very positive for the entire Toronto organization here in the last few years. On talking to you, Jim, about how things are continuing to go, how this team is continuing to excel, really liked when I said, hey, talk about whatever is on your mind, and you mentioned the schedule. And then Pat Malacaro sure. coming in next after you're saying, he couldn't imagine going through that same schedule that you're going through. And yet mm-hmm. the team continues, whether it's the double headers that you've had to deal with or whether it's the road trips or whatever the case may be, the team continues to excel. Well, you know what? Pat needs to uh, pull up his bootstraps and uh, get grinding there. No, <laughs> I kid, of course. Um, <laughs> um, no, he's right. Uh, you know, and, and I think that says a lot, and I talked to Cesar about this. Um, it really says a lot to me uh, about this team's character. Uh, I, I mean, you know, uh, when you look at it, and this is a league that doesn't have as many teams as other leagues. So obviously at times you'll, you're going to cancel, um, cancel each other out with wins and losses. But this team right now, um, I think since 2015, is 12 games over 500. Um, and they're, they're really beating up on teams. And they're just they're doing it um, right now. Actually, I'm glad you brought up that grind because that's another note I had to put today um, in the game notes. Uh, we had a league-wide off day on Monday. Um, and we are playing the fourth of 17 contests um, heading straight into the all-star break. Um, and 10 of those games are going to be on the road. So um, I, I think that the, the best thing that, that really helps this team and it reflects on the coaching staff is the ability to tell these guys take one game at a time and slow everything down. I mentioned with Warmoth earlier, it's the same thing um, here um, with, with coaches as well um, and telling all their players they slow the game down and it equates to wins, and I think that's exactly what we're doing. So I'm impressed with what we have here, and, and to be able to go through this grind of, I mean, gosh, uh, last week, four games in two days, uh, it's not easy, and to be able to do that, one at home, which, I mean, home, quote-unquote, at Jack Russell, but and then the other on, in St. Lucie, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. That's a long trip, too. It's not an easy thing to do, and I'm really proud to be associated with these guys every day. I mean, we, we've you know, no matter who comes and goes, it's always, um, it always feels like the same. And that's um, when you're winning, that's a great thing in the game of baseball. And that says a lot about our coaching staff, the ability to get these guys into a routine and get them familiar with the everyday grind of this league. So that's a heck of a job by this coaching staff thus far. Do you have a favorite road trip to go on? Do you have a favorite road stadium to visit and play at? 
Um, good question. I, I think uh, well, I like Clearwater because um, their their head food service lady Erin always gives me the extra food, so I like that. Uh, and it's just a gorgeous place. Um, I think what else? So I like Clearwater. Um, Lakeland's pretty easy to get to. Um, I, you know, I really don't. And I I get a chance to go to all these ballparks that are. Uh, spring training facilities, so they're pretty much top notch, and I get to kind of see and, and walk around, and um, you know, I'm familiar with all the uh, all the people um, who um, don't work in the press box, you know, the clubhouse um, men and women, um, you know, Dom, who's our clubhouse visiting clubby in um, uh, in Clearwater. I mean, he's he's one of my favorites. So uh, I don't really have a favorite park. I'm just happy to to get a chance to be in the league and, and see these different parks uh, on a daily basis. Jim Tarabokia, voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays, the first-place squad in the Florida State League North Division. Jim, thank you very much. Hey, and Jesse, by the way, I'm glad you're safe um, from the tornadoes in Dayton that unfortunately uh, hit that area. Um, and uh, I'm glad everything is uh, good to go with uh, you, the Lugnuts, and the, uh, the Dragons as well. And I hope everybody uh, can um, you know, clean up quickly and swiftly and uh, that everybody's safe. And I'm glad to hear that you're safe as well. Hey, Jim, I really appreciate that. We drove through the devastation on our way through Dayton, 75 South, and it was terrible to watch. We came in the next day after all of the tornadic destruction the night before, and so everyone that I met at Fifth Third Field, I asked them how they were affected. I found people who said that they were unharmed, and I found people who said they had no more homes or that their families no longer had homes. Uh, let me go up to the AAA level. Let me bring in Pat Malacaro, the voice of the herd, the AAA Buffalo Bisons. Pat, how are you doing this week? Things are good here, Jesse. We are just in Rochester, New York, for the second time in as many weeks. Uh, weird court in the schedule that Buffalo didn't see the team closest to them until late May, and now uh, we're making up for lost time with, uh, uh, with Rochester. So getting set for the first of a three-game weekend series. Well, let's talk about what's going on with Buffalo. And I think that the first place to start and looking over your Buffalo Bisons uh, – Let's go all the way back to last week. I believe it was a full week ago that Alan Hansen hit two homers, drove in six, and he scored 15 runs. Yeah, and it was the first time this season a Bison hitter had hit two home runs in a game. The ball carries better at Lehigh Valley this year than we have ever seen. Uh, part of it is the new baseballs, which we've discussed in the past, but part of it is just the weather patterns there this year. And now neither home run was a cheap home run for Alan Hansen, um, but the ball just carries better there this year, especially to right field. And for Hanson, the switch hitter, he was able to pull the ball to right, and uh, things worked well for him. The Bison are not a home run team. Uh, they now have 41 on the season, eight in the road trip uh, that was between Rochester and Lehigh Valley last week. So that was you know, eight home runs, and coming into it, the team had 31. So that's a big chunk of home runs in a short amount of time. Uh, this team has gotten more home run hitters, especially adding someone like Billy McKinney recently. Jasper Hernandez has a couple. Even Socrates Brito has uh, swung the bat well. He's, he's a lot um, stronger and, and uh, a bigger guy than I maybe expected, um, even knowing some of the vitals on him coming into it. Um, so the Bisons have more home run hitters now than they had before, but still, they're not a home run team, uh, but they're getting some of those contributions. You have a number of players right now on your team who at one point or another spent time with the Toronto Blue Jays, especially at the start of the year. 
are there guys you're saying and watching them and how they're performing, whether Brito, whether McKinney, whether onward, where you're saying this guy is putting himself on the right track to return to the major leagues? Yeah, I think Teoscar Hernandez is doing that, to, to be honest. Um, it was a surprise at the start of last year, maybe. Not not a surprise, but you understood the numbers game, but he definitely belonged in the big leagues at the start of 18, and it was no surprise when he did not come back down after a short time in Buffalo. This year, struggling a little bit, but uh, you can tell if he's in center field, it's a spot that was not open for him uh, for the longest time in Toronto, but uh, now that Blue Jays don't really have a true center fielder in their everyday lineup. Uh, it's a spot that Teoscar could maybe move back into uh, in a short order. Uh, if he could just start swinging the bat the way we've seen him uh, hit in this league before and even at the big league level. So if, if you're talking about a guy that's probably maybe the closest, that, that would be uh, the person for me. Uh, and hopefully we'll be seeing a guy like Bo Bichette back very soon who – uh, probably was on the fast track, as with, especially with the way that some of the young players are getting playing time in the big leagues this year, um, that, that would probably see time sooner rather than later. How do you feel when you see Jacob Waggis back make his major league debut? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, just honestly, two hours before he found out-ish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a rough timeline on it. He and I did a pregame conversation because we were in Lehigh, partly because it was the, the franchise, the, the organization that took a chance on him originally, and it was acquired from Lehigh Valley last year. But also um, just because he's been throwing well uh, for the Bisons, and he was perfectly blunt and honest and said, you know, signing as a minor league free agent after playing in college, probably not supposed to be here in, in AAA. And then for a couple hours later for him to uh, go up to the big leagues and first you know, being on a taxi squad, not knowing if he'd be activated, and then was uh, a couple hours later that Sunday. Uh, it was pretty pretty awesome. You know, unfortunate that he's suffering from a little bit of a shoulder strain right now, but I'm sure it's, it's something he'll uh, bounce back from quickly. And, and it's always it's, you always root for for the guys on your team, uh, especially, uh, but even more so a guy like Waggis Pack, who he's not a top round pick. He hasn't had a lot handed to him in the past. He's had to earn it and work for it. And for him to get to the big leagues, I think, uh, is a pretty cool moment. Lastly, I was wondering about Zach Jackson. He was a third-round draft choice of the Toronto Blue Jays. I saw him in Lansing. He's moved his way up the ladder. We haven't really dedicated too much time in talking about him as a future major league reliever for the Toronto Blue Jays. But how are you watching him develop recently? Well, I think you're seeing out of him and out of a lot of the players that are on this team this year, AAA is a different different level. It's a different beast. And to go from AA to AAA, uh, you've got a lot more veteran experience, a lot more selection in terms of what guys are going to swing at at the plate at this level and taking it to the big league. So I think it's been an adjustment uh, for Zach to some extent this year because he's had to throw more strikes. And with that comes more hits given up and more runs given up. But you can see that he's starting to trust his stuff a lot more. He's going out there with a plan and just letting it fly at times, just not worrying about, you know, maybe what uh, what he may have seen in the past or what, what some of the reports may have been on guys, just going out and throwing because we, we've seen his stuff. You've seen it before. The guys in AA have seen it. It's good. It'll play. It's just a matter of trusting it and knowing that you're going to have to throw some strikes 
uh, to get guys out, and that's what he has started to do, and you're seeing the results really start to come with it as well. All right. Pat Malacaro, voice of the AAA Buffalo Bisons on the road coming to us from Rochester. Pat, thank you very much. Yeah, glad to talk to you, Jesse, and we'll uh, catch up next Friday. All right, in seven days. And from Pat down to AA, let me bring in the Zick. Hello, Zickle. How are you coming to us from Altoona, Pennsylvania? Hey, Jesse, I'm doing fantastic. Happy Friday, happy around the nest. And here I am in what is likely the closest to a big league perspective in a visiting broadcasting booth than anywhere in the Eastern League here at People's Natural Gas Field in Curve, PA. So a fine day. Have you seen the famous curve of the railroad tracks? You know, shamefully, I have not. I pride myself on taking advantage of all the free time on the road to be able to check out the various sights, sounds, and smells of all these other Eastern League cities outside of Manchester, New Hampshire. But the Horseshoe Curve is one of those few landmarks that I have yet to check out. And, of course, as you might know, we only come to Altoona once every season because the Western Division clubs only get one visit and one visit, if you will, coming our way and going out that way each season. So try to pack it all into three days, but maybe tomorrow with the Jesse Goldberg Strasburg recommendation, I check out the Horseshoe Curve. I love it. Wish Garrett Mansfield my best, too. Because you brought up the smells, are there cities in the Eastern League that come with specific smells? Uh, you know, uh, for me personally, Binghamton, New York, not the city itself, but I go to one sandwich shop that always smells great and drew me in the first time back in 2017, my first season in the league. I uh, love going to Trenton for many respects, although the ballpark's not in the best area. I love walking around Princeton, and you get the smell of the Ivy League, both literally and figuratively. So just two examples. And as it turns out, both New York teams, the Mets and the Yankees in those two respective cities. Ah, that's great. Here in Lansing, we've got Paramount Coffee across the street. It reminds me of Jacksonville, Florida, which I felt absolutely reeked of coffee. It was your wake-up call every morning. In Clinton, Iowa, there was, uh, thankfully, the aroma isn't as strong anymore, but you had the sewage treatment facility, the paper mill, and the dog food factory, which would all combine into a special aroma whenever you'd visit. And I hope they're not sharing the pipes because the dog's food factory and the waste treatment plant, if those lines get crossed, you might just not know. <laughs> All right, let's talk specifically about individual players. Hey, how hot is Forrest Wall been? Absolutely scalding. I went to give him a fist bump yesterday, and I came away with a second-degree burn. The kid has been fantastic, <laughs> and it's a shame that none of you guys lower in the system had an opportunity to see Forrest Wall do his thing for your team because he's a guy who, in the course of a nine-inning game, you're not necessarily going to look out on the field and see him out there in center or at the dish and be like, wow, this is a guy who is going to make a huge impact day in and day out. But he just consistently shows up, puts good plate appearances or at-bats together, gets on base, works deep into counts, but isn't afraid to hack early in the count as well. And it just goes to show that he's raised his average north of 300 for the first time this season over his recent 11-game stretch, which is the longest active hitting streak in the Eastern League right now. And if you extrapolate that back even further, he's had a hit 28 of his last 33 and reached base in 30 of those 33 games. So to be able to have manager Mike Mordecai pencil in that kind of talent at the top of his order every single night, and there's Forrest at the top tonight here in Altoona, that has been a huge boon to the Fisher Cats and the Forrest Wall. The other guy who caught my eye with his performance 
And I talked with, uh, I talked about him with Jim Tarabokia because he was with the Needham earlier this year. Hey, how good has Riley Adams been? I'll tell you, Riley Adams for me, Jesse, has been probably the most fun to watch this season. And yes, it's been a relatively small sample size. Though tonight will be his 22nd game with the Cats. He only played 19 down in Dunedin. So now you can say he's been a Fisher Cat longer than he's been a DJ. Uh, yesterday, three base hits, including a double. It seems like he's standing on second base after his at-bat at least once every game. And for him to step up in certain situations, whether he's batting fourth like he is tonight or batting sixth, he finds ways to make an impact both at the plate and behind the dish. He, I would argue, is quickly rocketing up the ranks as one of the favored receivers for all of the pitchers on this pitching staff. And although he didn't start behind the dish for Nate Pearson yesterday, those two guys have a special connection as well. So obviously Riley can do it on his own at the dish, but I love the way he's been working with this staff as well. And of course, all these guys know each other from the complex or spending seasons past with one another, but you come up from a team at a lower level and are now expected to shoulder the mantle, if you will, to handle this pitching staff. And I think Riley Adams has done an excellent job through his first three weeks here. Speaking with Tyler Zippel about the Class AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, Tyler, anybody else that you would like to show some love to for their performance of this past week? Got to be Nash Knight. He's in the midst of a personal best seven-game hitting streak, had a couple of extra base hits yesterday, including a triple. And really, you take a look at his stats, and although Nash, again, kind of like uh, Jacob Wagaspeck, as Pat was alluding to, a guy who signed as a minor league free agent out of college at Dallas Baptist, began his pro career in 2015, was known at the end of last season for playing all nine positions down in advanced aid Dunedin, and after a slow start in April in which he batted south of 200, since the calendar has turned to May, Nash has arguably been our best hitter in 17 games, batting 352 straight off of his MILB.com player page. And not only is he a guy who can hit from both sides of the plate, but you can put him at any position, obviously, as we know, from the all-nine position experience, but he can play a great third base, put him at first. He can play the middle infielder at infield positions as needed. And, of course, He'll haul in some fly balls in the corner outfield spots as well. So to have a utility man like that batting north of 250 on the year in the midst of his best stretch of the season and batting third tonight, let me see if he's batted third at all this season. In fact, this is just his fourth game batting third. So it'll be nice to see Nash Knight do his thing in the three-hole as arguably New Hampshire's most consistent hitter along with Forrest Wall and Riley Adams of late. About New Hampshire's pitchers, Nate Pearson is taken unusually his lumps as of late same thing with Patrick Murphy how are those two pitchers using those experiences to become more complete pitchers indeed well yesterday Nate Pearson got his first decision and unfortunately it was a loss since coming up from uh, advanced state Dunedin where he began the year with a sub one ERA Nate is a guy who we know is going to all things if all things continue to go as they've gone pitch in the big leagues sooner rather than later but there are going to be days where you don't have your best stuff or maybe aren't able to locate as well as you normally can. And that was kind of a day yesterday for Nate Pearson. But a moment that stuck out to me was in the first, after he allowed the first three batters to reach, a couple of singles, neither of which were hit hard, and then a walk after he battled with Austin Davidson of the Senators. A pass ball ended up bringing home a run, but with the bases loaded and nobody out, he ended up allowing just that one run. He struck out two of his next three and retired the next three batters in a row. So for me, at 22 years old, Nate Pearson becomes a better pitcher for that experience yesterday as opposed to pitching five shutouts and recording five strikeouts and only allowing two hits as he's done in turns past. 
So for him to be able to work out of those sticky situations with runners on base, he only had one perfect inning yesterday. That was in the fourth, but or rather the third. But for him to be able to work around these situations with runners on base and find ways to get out, even if he's not feeling his best or looking his best that day, or for that matter, Harrisburg being the best team in our league, they just put together good at-bats, and so they got to Pearson a little bit yesterday, but he ground through four and two-thirds, and I think he comes away yet from yesterday's game a better pitcher than he would have been if the outing had been a little more smooth. And the same is true for Patrick Murphy. I didn't envy his circumstances when we arrived in Harrisburg at about 3.30 a.m. a couple of days ago to start that series at FNB Field. He did all he could to get through four and two-thirds. He gave up a season-high seven runs on seven hits, um, but with limited sleep and pitching after a – delayed start in less than ideal condition. Again, it's not going to be all roses in the big leagues every day. So for Pat Murphy to deal with a little bit of that, those obstacles, if you will, certainly going to make him a better pitcher in the long run. Because, Jesse, let's be honest, you and I and everybody else listening and talking on this around the nets knows that Patrick Murphy and Nate Pearson have big league quality stuff. Now it's just a matter of putting together the consistency and the mentality to be that big league pitcher we know they can all be. Honesty is the best policy. Lastly, with Tyler Zickel, Pedro Martinez's favorite Fisher cat going to the mound tonight, Jensi Diaz. What do you expect out of Jensi? Well, he got the loss in his last start, and that was only because Hartford, who has seen us so many times this year, had also seen Jensi a heck of a lot as well. And for him, he had, going into his last start, had pitched back-to-back seven-inning shutouts. One of them was a complete game in a doubleheader. The other was a quality start. And he established the highest single-man scoreless inning streak of the season for a Fisher Cats pitcher, 18 and two-thirds scoreless innings as a starter, no less, from May 27th to May 26th. Just says a lot about his ability when things are clicking on all cylinders. And I'm looking forward to him taking the ball tonight going to attack these Altoona batters and have an opportunity to recreate some of the same success he had against the same curved club just about 10 days ago back in Manchester when he worked his second of those two seven shutout innings against this Altoona team. So if Yancey can find that similar groove, I'm looking forward to seven or maybe even eight tonight. Patrick Murphy went eight one time this year. No other starter has gone past seven. Could Diaz be the guy tonight? He would get my vote for sure. All right, Tyler Zickel, the Zick, joining us from Altoona Curve, Pennsylvania, where he's got the New Hampshire Fisher Cats against the Altoona Curve this weekend. Zick, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for having me roost in the nest for a little bit. Go Cats. Let's sweep them here in Curve PA this weekend. Here we go, at Tyler underscore Zickel. You can find him on Twitter. And now let's wrap up the show with a conversation as promised. Adam Jackson sat down with the newest Lansing Lugnut, Griffin Conine, and here was that conversation. Adam Jackson here for Lansing Lugnuts Baseball. Now joining us, outfielder Griffin Conine, your first day being a Lansing Lugnut. Take us through the travel process and when you got here as you get ready for the first game. Uh, yeah, I just got in last night, uh, kind of late, around uh, 10. Um, Left at like five. Got a got to play one last game um, down there in Dunedin, uh, just to you know get get a couple last minute at bats. Uh, make sure I was right where I wanted to be um, before I headed up here. So they were they were really great about um, letting me hop in the game for a, a couple at bats. Uh, only actually ended up taking one um, and had the swing I, I wanted to have on on that at bat. So uh, I just uh, kind of got my stuff together and headed to the airport after that. When did they tell you that game 51, you were going to head up and be a Lansing Lugnut? 
Um, it was about, I think it was about two weeks ago, so it was pretty late. Um, you know, I was kind of, the mindset for me was just wherever I go is where I go. You know, it wasn't uh, nothing I could control, and um, it wasn't something I wanted to focus on. But obviously, uh, when I heard I was coming up here, I was really excited. You know, a lot, a lot of the guys I play with in Vancouver are here now, and um, it seems like they got a really good group of guys. And uh, obviously, the Lansing is an awesome place to play um, environment-wise, so uh, definitely good to get out of the Florida heat, too. No doubt about that. We bring you to Dayton where there is some heat, 87 degrees last night, but maybe a little bit cooler. Anything in specific that you are working on to try and get better and during your time in extended spring training coming into the year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, the mindset going into it was, um, you know, I was going to have, you know, this, this sad amount of time there, which is, uh, you know, I knew it was about two months. So um, wanted to work out any kinks in my swing I could, uh, mechanical issues, um, you know, I felt uh, coming out of last year, um, there was definitely some some holes in my swing that I wanted to work through and um, just get my swing in, in the best possible spot I could uh, when I when I came up here. So a lot of that was um, attacking fastballs, um, making sure I'm always on time for for the fastball and kind of working off that. So uh, the last two weeks of it extended really um, really everything came together and I'm, I feel as good as I felt. Let's go back to when you started growing up. Obviously, unique situation with your dad being a major league baseball player. What was that like growing up and watching him play, and potentially seeing him travel all around? Yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, it was uh, something that you don't realize how cool it is until later in your life when when people tell you that you know my dad was um, a lawyer, you know, a, a lot more of a of a normal job. So uh, um, I don't think I realized it till uh, you know he retired when I was. Um, 10 years old so I was still pretty young but um definitely remember a lot of good times at um you know the old Marlins Stadium in Florida um had, still have some hazy memories of, of the World Series in 03 um and then we spent some time in Cincinnati uh, when he was at the Reds um so a lot a lot of good memories um met a lot of cool people and uh, it, was, it was really fun specifically with the game of baseball Griffin what has your dad taught you um you know anything can can be accomplished with hard work. He was a guy that uh, he he was a pitcher in college and um, got drafted in the 58th round as a as a hitter, um, and kind of had to start from scratch uh, and just work his way up. You know, and, and that's the only that's the only reason you know, he got to where he did and, and how he could stay in the league so long was just you know working hard and um, putting in the time and and just knowing that uh, every day is a battle and you got to just kind of take what you can learn from each day and, and take it to the next day and, and get better. Has he or anybody that watched him that has now watched you said you look a little bit like him when you're playing the game? Uh, that's one thing. I don't think anyone's ever said that. <laughs> we're we're pretty pretty uh, polar opposites, you know, opposite sides of the plate. That's an obvious one. But um, approach-wise, swing-wise, you know, he was uh, more of like a um, – he had, had the 214 homers, so I can't knock the power too much. But uh, <laughs> he was more of like a contact hitter, um, and I'm, I'm kind of more of the, the power guy that, uh, you know, wants to – wants to hit the long ball and um definitely a lot can be learned from from his approach and I try to take it into mind because he was he was so good at um seeing pitches deep and, and being able to hit every every type of pitch you know he didn't really have a hole in his swing like like I was trying to work through and extend it so um yeah I think definitely different players but uh similar approaches talking with Griffin Conine I read somewhere that you were a big skateboarder back when you were uh when you were a younger kid and you didn't really get into baseball until sophomore junior year how did you get into skateboarding? Um, I think it was uh, just my buddy in middle school. Uh, I in like sixth or seventh grade, um, just someone I became friends with. Uh, it was just like the 
the average rebellious phase of my life where uh, baseball seemed boring at the time and was the furthest thing from my mind. And it was just, you know, a fun, it was just a fun little phase. It was, you know, about sixth to eighth grade probably, or sixth to ninth grade maybe, um, where I was just, that was all I'd think about. And that's all I would, I would eat, sleep, breathe, skateboarding, kind of like I do baseball now. Um, and it was just, uh, I don't know, maybe it was just a time where I needed to kind of get away from it just so I could realize that I, that I wanted it and then I, that I needed it. So, uh, it was really fun, but um, yeah. Once I got, I got hurt actually playing football, and then couldn't skateboard for a while. And then uh, after that, I never picked it up again. And just started started getting really into baseball. When was the last time you hopped on a skateboard? Do you still have one around? Yeah, actually, uh, at Duke, um, I got a I got like one of the, a mini longboard. So I, I wasn't uh, wasn't ripping the the stair jumps as much <laughs> as I used to, trying to stay safe. Uh, but definitely like to ride it around still. Okay, so then you're trying to decide on a college. Duke, Wake Forest, or Rice, I believe, were in your final uh, three. Why was Duke the right fit for you? Uh, just best of everything, you know, best uh, best academic school of the three, um, best uh, baseball-wise at the time. You know, I really thought that uh, I believed what Coach Pollard, um, what he said on, in my, on my visit and, uh, you know, how much conviction he had about turning the program around. And um, obviously before that, you know, Wake was probably the better – uh, baseball team, but um, I really believe that that Coach Pollard was bringing the team in the right direction. And um, just once I once I got on campus uh, in North Carolina, and just uh, you couldn't beat it. So um, just everything combined, ACC uh, academics. My parents really wanted me to go to a good school, and and I I did too. So uh, just it was the best of everything. We have an idea of what it's like to be a Duke basketball player under Coach K. What's it like to be a Duke baseball player? Um, a lot less glamorous. A lot less glamorous. Uh, I have had people come up to me uh, and you know state that they didn't know we had a baseball team at the university. Um, but uh, it was pretty cool seeing freshman year to junior year just like how different uh, we were regarded on campus. Just because uh, all all that we accomplished um, in my junior year and um, you know broke the record for the most school wins and it was really awesome to see Coach Pollard kind of get the recognition that that he worked really hard for and, and that we all did. So. Um, definitely definitely a big change from freshman to junior year. We're talking with Griffin Conine on his first day with the Lansing Lugnuts uh, a couple years ago. Last year, actually, in 2018, you hit the longest home run of the college baseball season, 497 feet. Can you take us through it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was right after finals. We were playing Gardner-Webb in a doubleheader, and um, it was just uh, the guy on the mound was just like a straight-throwing righty. Uh, and kind of he was missing up a lot and just throwing up so I just got up there and I was like I'm gonna look for a fastball kind of like belt stomach high and first pitch I think it was just 85 middle middle right down the middle and uh yeah I swung first pitch and just one of the hardest balls I ever hit in my life and I got in the dugout and then everyone was freaking out because like our our media team like started uh tweeting like home run distances like during the game like they would do it right after because they would check the uh the track man and someone tweeted and they were like 497 and I was like no like I thought they were messing with me and then um, they were like, no, seriously. So uh, it was crazy. I didn't did not think I went that far. That was by far the farthest ball I ever hit. You get drafted by the Blue Jays in the second round. Initial thoughts when you find out or when you got the phone call, what you thought about being a Toronto Blue Jay? Um, excitement. You know, I was really excited. Uh, didn't people always ask me if I had any idea if I was, you know, if I knew the Blue Jays would take me, if I knew anyone. That, that was uh, like a front runner, and I really had none. Uh, my agent didn't either. He was kind of like, um, it could be any one of ten different teams. Um, so uh, he just texted me the pick right before and just said the word Jays. That, that was all I heard from him. Um, 
and then you know we were on we were actually at the regional in Athens, Georgia after we just uh we just went to a super um so we, the whole team was there that night we were watching on TV and uh yeah I was there was no team that people asked if I had a team I wanted to go to uh I didn't really you know just a good organization a good fan base um big city you know all the things that Toronto obviously has and um really cool to be a part of a team that you know a whole country is really behind Talking with Griffin Conine with the Vancouver Canadians last year, and then after the season, uh, you faced some adversity, found out you'd have a 50-game suspension before this year got underway for you. Take us through when you found out in November and how you handled all of that. Uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, definitely the most uh, devastating phone call I've ever got. Um, you know, it was just uh, a situation where right away I just was already thinking about this day, really, just about how all I could do to get to get myself to the best point um to play when you know when the suspension ended and um I think I've done that and you know it was it was the first two months were really hard um definitely you know everyone uh releasing the statement was really hard um just because owning up to your mistakes is never easy and uh it was something that I had to do you know I didn't want to take the path where uh, people kind of brush it off or they say there was other um reasons or excuses they could make um I didn't I didn't want to be that guy so it was just a situation where I used it as motivation. You know, I, it was a mistake I made, and um, I, that's something I drew from a lot in the off season when I was, you know, a workout was really tough, and I, I didn't want to keep going or, or um, you know, whenever I was going out to the field to work, it was just uh, something that I could kind of get motivation from and, and work harder. How tough was it to, you know, see your name in articles or newspapers or, or wherever and see the suspension next to your name, knowing that you just want to get back out and play and show who you are? Yeah, um, it, w- it wasn't easy, and uh, thank God, you know, I have all, all the support I had, and you know, my family, and and uh, I was at Duke when I found out, and uh, for the off season, and uh, you know, I had to have that talk with the coaching staff because uh, obviously I wanted them to hear from me, and that wasn't easy in itself, but at the same time, um, yeah, all they did for me and and letting me um, continue to do all my work there and get the, my workouts in there was was unbelievable, and um, the biggest thing I think was just getting off, kind of getting off Twitter, getting off social media for for at least a few months, you know, I knew nothing, um, nothing on there would, was something I would really want to see, you know, people are ignorant, and people say things that, uh, that you can't control, so um, I knew who I was, and knew that uh, I didn't really need to, need to um, see anything that, that wasn't going to help me mentally. Feels like that helped you grow up a little bit, and just learn something from what happened. Yeah, absolutely, you know, it was, it was the hardest thing I ever had to face, you know, having that, that kind of negative spotlight on me, I, you know, I've always been I always love, you know, who doesn't like the spotlight, but uh, never had that kind. So um, it was easy. It, was, it wasn't easy, but um, it was something that I look back and, you know, I think I'm definitely better because of it. And uh, that's that's why I think, you know, a lot of the reasons that uh, I went to extend it and, and worked and worked there, I think is important in, the, in, you know, my career going forward. And last question for you. You come up to Lansing, as you mentioned, you played in Vancouver with a lot of the guys that are here on this team now. Who are you most excited to uh, see again and play again with, knowing that, again, you had the opportunity to share some memories with some of these guys last year. Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of the guys. You know, I mean, uh, Kerwer was uh, played the outfit with him all last year. Um, that kid's a clown, and hated <laughs> to see him going to the wall like that last night, but uh, hopefully he's going to be okay so we can get back out there together. And, um, you know, all all the all my teammates out there from Vancouver, um, there's a lot of them up here, so uh, I don't want to list them all off. don't want to leave anyone out, but um, just uh, – we, we had a great chemistry up there in Vancouver, so looking to keep that going. 
All right, Griffin Conine, thanks so much for your time. Looking forward to seeing you in a Lansing Lugnut uniform tonight. Good luck. Thank you. So that was Adam Jackson speaking with Griffin Conine. Conine, before his very first game with the Lansing Lugnuts, now he's played two games with the Lugnuts, that very first game an RBI single and the third at-bat, breaking a 0-0 tie. And then his second game, he struck out his first time up. He doubled to left center. He doubled down the left field line. He homered to left. He homered to left. We're eager to see what the future holds for Conine in Lansing and beyond. That does it for another week of Around the Nest. For Adam Jackson in Lansing, Jim Tarabokia in Dunedin, Tyler Zickel in New Hampshire, and Pat Malacaro in Buffalo. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strasser with the Lansing Lugnuts. Big thanks as well to Griffin Conine as our guest this week, to Hayden Godfrey for posting on Bluebird Banter, and the minor leaguer as well, as well as Bluebird Banter overall. Find us on Twitter at Around Nest. Until next week, enjoy the baseball.